Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today is the final installment in our series on Chira Obata. On Friday, I will be releasing an episode with Paul Carter, who just released a book about Nixon in California. And before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you all that you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash history of California. On to today's episode. We pick up the story of Obata after returning from his life-altering trip to Yosemite. The spiritual and inspirational effect on his life is profound, in a way that many of us experience after extended stays in the Sierra Nevadas, and Yosemite in particular. At some point, we all need to come down the mountain, though, and return to real life. Our minds return to our old ways and rhythms. Life brought some changes, certainly, when he returned. Good initially, but challenging during the war. First, Obata's art and his relationship with Nall and Ryder translate into stable employment. They got him his foot in the door by having him teach a summer class at UC Berkeley. Obata brought his family, likely hoping that this would translate into consistent employment, which ended up being realized. His students loved his teaching so much that they went to the administration to have him return to campus as a regular professor. In 1934, Obata was asked to come aboard as a lecturer and proved to be so popular that he was offered a post as an assistant professor. As an assistant professor, Obata had the freedom not only to teach some of his artistic techniques like sumi, he also taught things like aesthetics and philosophy, which was all embedded in his teaching of art. This was fortunate for Obata because this was the time that the Great Depression was ravaging the economy and people's livelihoods. The Bay Area, in particular, suffered many of the challenges that the rest of the country faced during the Great Depression. Before the downturn, the Bay Area was a thriving metropolis, with massive shipping and logistics industries through various ports in the Bay, as well as being a huge manufacturing center. Once the Great Depression hit full swing, the dockyards came to a screeching halt, leaving thousands jobless, unable to support their families. At the same time, however, the Bay Area was also the location for many of the most famous New Deal projects, like the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge. Additionally, many of the cultural programs through the New Deal found their home in the Bay Area, which in many ways transformed the region into a cultural hub. Obata was shielded from much of this through his employment at UC Berkeley. Even when the university was forced to make massive cuts to many of their programs, as well as ask faculty to take on extra duties with little extra pay, the university persevered, in no small part due to many of the New Deal programs that pumped money into the institution. Accordingly, Obata was able to continue to inspire artists and work on his own art. However, life took a dark turn after the attack on Pearl Harbor and the subsequent internment camps. It's worth revisiting here the situation with Japanese Americans on the West Coast of the United States. There are many sources for anti-Japanese sentiment in California. Economic competition was a factor, cultural misunderstanding was a factor, 
and then there was a heavy dose of racism undergirding all of it. This sentiment led to the passing of the 1913 Alien Land Law, which prohibited Japanese immigrants from owning agricultural land or holding long-term leases. The reasoning given for such policies were broad generalizations that Japanese immigrants did not assimilate to American culture. Beyond the internal issues related to Japanese immigrants, there were also global and geopolitical issues as well. After the Meiji Restoration, Japan was interested in expanding the reach of its empire and wanted to take parts of China, like Manchuria for example, for their resources and strategic location. The expansive drive of the imperial Japanese state fueled the growing suspicion that the Japanese were spies or insurgents, covertly working against the government of the United States. Then Pearl Harbor. The fire of the anti-Japanese sentiment had grown into a steady blaze by this time, but this direct attack on the U.S. military and Hawaii itself translated that fire into a total conflagration. Consequently, FDR, channeling the hysteria and existing prejudices and racism that was already extant on this coast, signed into law the infamous Executive Order 9066, which ultimately led to their forced relocation of over 120,000 Japanese Americans, many of them American citizens, into internment camps. The language specific to where Obata was located was that there was a military necessity to limit the travel of Japanese Americans within five miles of their domicile and to enforce a strict curfew. Obata, like many of the terrified Japanese Americans on the receiving end of these policies, had to be fingerprinted and registered, part of the first step in removing and relocating him and others like him. The writing on the wall was clear for the Obates. Their time in Berkeley was coming to an end. Accordingly, they began to prepare, like many Japanese, to depart, leaving their home, their keepsakes, their jobs, their friends, their life behind. And sure enough, the order came through announcing that 1,300 Japanese Americans living in the Bay Area would be evacuated. Obata began to store his valuables with friends living in Berkeley. This included his own art collection. Some of his other art he sold and created a scholarship, which he labeled as for, quote, the student regardless of race or creed who this committee decides has suffered the most from this war, end quote. After all the preparation, the evacuation finally happened. On April 30th, 1942, the Obatas departed with two other groups of evacuees to the Tanforan Assembly Center, which was a horse racetrack in San Bruno. This was only 20 miles from the Obata, where the Obatas were living in Berkeley, but it might as well have been a million miles away in terms of the changes that it presented to their way of life, at least at first. Despite the bleak circumstances, Obata was not one to sit still and proposed establishing an art school in the camp and applied to the academic director of the camp to establish this program. Part of his push was built around the idea that directing people's distress and nervous energy through programs around the fine arts would be the best way to raise their spirits. The educational director must have seen the logic in this because he approved Obata's proposal. However, Given the wartime constraints and the other budgetary issues, Obata struggled to find the funding to support the program internally. Nonetheless, 
Obata opened the school with registration of 23 course offerings and utilized his contacts throughout the Bay Area to secure funding through various partnerships and friendships, including the American Friends Services Committee, the San Francisco Museum of Art, the First Congregational Church, Flax Artist Materials, and Duncan Vale Art Supply Company. The money was a godsend and enabled him to not only teach the fine arts, to, but to produce art as well. A month after opening his school and program, Obata organized a student exhibition that included five sculptures and 75 drawings that were exhibited at various organizations and institutions across the Bay Area. Just a few months after this series of victories for his community, another blow hit the Obatas. They were now being transferred to the Central Utah Relocation Center. The Obatas would now be located in Topaz, Utah. Topaz couldn't be more different from San Bruno. The landscape could be best described as stark and desolate. The area is situated in the severe desert in west central Utah, and the terrain is mostly flat with bushes, sand, and rocky soil. Just as the land is extreme in one direction, so is the climate. The summers were unbearably hot and the winters brutally cold, which is another contrast from the Bay Area's temperate weather. In the distance, though, the bodies would like to be able to see beautiful mountain ranges. This would be their new home for the next year and a half. Just as he did in the Bay Area, Obata set out to create another art institute. He again went to the camp administrators to seek institutional support for his programming. Again, as in the Bay Area, he received approval and began organizing. In addition to teaching, Obata also did demonstrations of art for groups, asking participants, famously, to paint a stroke on a canvas that he would then expand into a completed piece. Interestingly, while in Topaz, Obata was permitted to leave the camp twice to conduct lectures and demonstrations at Brigham Young University, which was close by. This would have possibly been the first time that many of these young Latter-day Saints students would have met or encountered a Japanese person, and certainly the first time they would have seen a live demonstration of freehand Japanese brush art. In addition to Obata traveling personally, his artwork also traveled. His piece titled New Moon received first prize in a contest organized by a Quaker group in Massachusetts. Additionally, two of his pieces were sent to Washington, D.C., one to the Works Progress Administration and one to Eleanor Roosevelt, who was in the business of promoting equality for all. Obata's tenure at Topaz, though, came to an abrupt and violent end. After a shower, Obata was walking back to his barrack at night when he was attacked and hit violently in the face. Camp administration determined that he was no longer safe living in the camp. After recovering at various medical facilities, he was eventually released along with his family. He then had a peripatetic existence for the next year and a half, looking for places to live and work in the Midwest, which was difficult given both his discipline and his ethnicity in the midst of the wartime situation. First, they stayed with friends in Salt Lake City before migrating to Chicago. Eventually, after not finding any university job, the Obatas settled in St. Louis, where they found work at a commercial art company. 
They stayed until 1945 when Obata received communication from the UC Berkeley administration that she, they should return home to work there. The Bay Area, as it turns out, was one of the more hospitable locales for Japanese Americans, and the Obatas must have felt a breath of relief as they returned home. Obata would return to teaching and exploring the natural landscape of California. He would teach for nine more years at UC Berkeley. Amidst that, he also became an active member of the Sierra Club, where he would lead painting demonstrations by the campfire and attend events and guided hikes. In addition to spending time at his favorite California locations, he also used his sabbaticals to travel and see more of the United States. Two major events happened, though, in 1954. One, Obata retired from teaching, moving to the status of Professor Emeritus, and then he and Heroku became U.S. citizens, a long journey from where they started, with Obata just planning to stay in the U.S. as a stepping stone to Paris, and Heroku planning to return home after learning some skills. After retirement, Obata would spend his years, which were many as he lived to be 90, promoting artwork and Japanese culture on the West Coast. In 1965, Obata would receive the prestigious Emperor's Medal in Tokyo for working to bring a better understanding between the U.S. and Japan. He would also receive U.S. honors through various exhibitions along the West Coast. Obata passed away at the age of 90 in 1975. There's so much more we can say about Chira Obata, but I wanted to close with a quotation from a park ranger in Yosemite in an interview she did about a retrospective that they had on Chira Obata's artwork. We will close with this. Obata's legacy reminds us that time spent in Dei Shinzen, or great nature, has the power to help heal and sustain us physically and emotionally and grow in love and appreciation for ourselves our neighbors, and this planet. I think that Obata rivals John Muir in his writing, in the way he talks about the great nature, how essential it is to our health and well-being, how central it is in making good art. And when you look closer and build a deeper, more substantial relationship with great nature, it not only benefits you, but also the places you're in. It's a reciprocal relationship, end quote. I don't think Obata could have said it better himself, and we'll see you next time.